Hey, it's Sean Fennessy. We've got something special cooking on the Prestige TV podcast. I'll be recapping one of my favorite shows, HBO's Barry, every Sunday night with the writer, director, star of the show, the great Bill Hader. We'll talk about the show's wild twists and turns, its special brand of dark comedy, and how it all came together. So on Sunday nights, immediately after a new episode airs, you can hear Bill and I break it all down on the Prestige TV pod. Subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. Welcome. It is Tuesday, May 31st. I hope you had a nice holiday weekend, and I hope you saw Top Gun several times. I saw it again. Producer Craig, you saw Top Gun, did you not? I did. And the verdict? I, I loved it, to be honest. I even got a little misty uh, in a few it's okay. Cases, yeah. It's okay. Man, man, tears are okay. Men can cry. Um, you know what's funny is like this is the sequel starring Tom Cruise that had like a two hundred million dollar marketing budget, and I still left the theater feeling like it was a win for like <laughs> the artiste for like original movie making. I was like, yes, this is a win. That's where we are. As long as there are no CGI monsters and like superheroes, you know, going through portals, I think it is a it counts as original filmmaking. Today's show is going to be all Top Gun Maverick. We're going to get into it with Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg, talk what this means for Tom Cruise, what this means for older audiences coming back to movies, what this means for the rest of the summer. I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg. Lucas, we just got the updated Top Gun Maverick numbers. Paramount just sent them out. Looks like the domestic four-day box office total was 1605 Million. That is a record for Memorial Day weekend. The international four-day number is 139.5 million. So that is a convenient 300 million total for the opening weekend for Top Gun Maverick. Pretty impressive, I would say. How many of those came from you and your friends from college seeing it multiple times this weekend? I have seen it twice. Uh, I almost cried a little bit the second time. Uh, my wife who I saw it with the second time, leaned over to me after about 10 minutes and said, I am definitely seeing this again. So uh, a lot of happy customers in the theater. Uh, I saw it in Arizona. There were a lot of military hats in the audience, um, a lot of older crowd. We'll go over the demos in a bit, but obviously a huge hit, a lot of winners here. I'm, I want to talk today about what this means and what it doesn't mean, because I think there's a lot of overreaction going on in the world. Um, you'd think that Tom Cruise was the second coming here. but um, And he may be in Scientology, but not in the real world. So I just want to go to you for this first. What do you think 
is the big takeaway from this? Right movie, right time, done really well. I don't know that there's a, you know, there's some big lesson for the movie industry to draw. Most people seem to be hopping on. This is a sign that that kind of the summer is going to be huge and and the movie business is back. And we seem to have this feeling every time there's one of these these huge hits, you know, when Spider-Man came in December, that was the narrative. When Doctor Strange opened a little bit ago, that was it. And then you have, or three weeks ago, I guess, and then you have sort of this fallow period. And the problem with that, of course, is there are not as many movies and theaters to live up to it. And we seem to just live in a feast or famine movie business that's sort of the the permanent state where the hits are going to be bigger than ever because they become an event and everybody goes to see them and people forget about everything else. And this is the latest, and I'd say, of kind of the third major, major hit of the last six months. Um, and I'll be very curious to see what happens over the next, you have, over the next kind of month and a half, you have a bunch of other big movies opening. Yeah, I don't want to read too much into this, but it is a pretty significant accomplishment getting the audience that it did for this movie. Now, it, it is a an anomaly. I don't think this means that that the older movie going audience is going to necessarily come back. Like if if Downton Abbey two were opening next weekend, it doesn't mean that people are going to all of a sudden flock. But the demos on this opening weekend were pretty crazy. Fifty five percent of audiences were over thirty five. 38% were over 45 and 18% were over 55. That that's domestic, but that's a pretty significant sign that this movie spoke to the older demo in a way that most summer blockbusters do not. I talked to people who said that they had never seen a movie gross this much with those kinds of demos. So, you know, it is a it is a very particular thing, a sequel to a 36-year-old movie featuring a star who is still relevant today. So that is something that probably won't happen again. Uh, but let's get into Cruise a little bit because you've seen a lot of things about how you know Tom Cruise won the movies. Tom Cruise is the last movie star. You've done a little research on this. What does this mean for Tom Cruise? Well, he is one of only a couple of actors who just pretty consistently opens movies. Um, but the interesting thing, because I, I then went and looked, there's there's a, a website where there's a couple of websites where you can look at like the the actors with the highest grossing, you know, or highest cumulative grosses over their entire career. And you go down like that top 20, and because of the way the movie business has shifted, basically all the movie stars are are big in franchises that already exist, whether it's Star Wars, Jurassic Park, Marvel, all that stuff. The the number of of actors who can actually take a movie that's not pre-existing IP and have it be a hit is a list of like maybe one person and we it's it's Leo DiCaprio and maybe or Dwayne Johnson even Tom Cruise like his biggest hits over the last 10 15 years it's Mission Impossible it's Top Gun it's these these franchises that he sort of kissed into or where he's the main star, not kissed into, and all the all the other ones like American Made and Edge of Tomorrow, which I loved but was not a huge hit, um, and it shows I think the limits of him as a draw at the at the box office. Yeah, that's the interesting point here. I mean, pre this weekend, Tom Cruise's biggest opening weekend was sixty five million dollars for War of the Worlds, and even the Mission Impossible movies, while ultimately pretty big, they're not billion-dollar grocers. He's never had a billion-dollar grocer. And while he does do these movies, like that's why when the New York Times called him the last movie star, I get what they're saying because he's still making popcorn movies and trying to please the audience. But you look at Leo DiCaprio. Leo has an audience. The Revenant, a movie that was pretty off-putting by most standards, grossed like five, six hundred million dollars. Inception. I mean, these are these are 
you know, movies that are not easy sells. And with Leo, they do huge hundreds of millions of dollars. It is amazing to me, I, all the coverage around this movie with this being far and away Tom Cruise's biggest opening weekend. It's probably going to end up being his his biggest movie ever. You think of Mission Impossible as this big franchise, right? We're on to, I forget if we're on to seven or eight. The like, next one is seven and then they're, yeah. they're making eight. But it's, ne- yeah, it's, it's topped out at like $700, $800 million, which in the modern movie business is like a decent hit. It's not a mega franchise. Um, and so I, I assume that this is all just tied to the fact that Tom Cruise in the 80s and 90s was this huge star. And he's really never stopped being one of the biggest movie stars we've had. And they treat And he tries. Every- yeah. He tries really hard, and he's still making movies to generate millions of dollars. I mean, you look at what Leo's choices are. I mean, he makes movies that are, without him, would be small dramas. I mean, Don't Look Up is a Netflix movie. He looks terrible in it, and, you know, it was still really popular. Wolf of Wall Street, you know, a lot of those Scorsese movies don't end up being huge hits, but because the ones because it has Leo in it, it's it's big. The Revenant is not a movie that you would have expected to make hundreds of millions of dollars. He does have that that ability to make it an event. I think it helps that he only makes a movie every every three or four years. The other person who actually stood out to me when I was looking at this, who's got a really good track record, though I, you probably wouldn't think of him, is Chris Hemsworth. Hmm. Um, because I mean, well, whatever. Marvel. Marvel, but even setting that aside, whatever you think of of the Netflix numbers, I did feel like Extraction was a movie that a lot of people watched, and that's really just him in an action movie. And then he had the he had the both the Huntsman franchise and like the reboot of Men in Black. He's got just he's got a pretty good track record for movies opening big, and because I, he probably plays it safe, he does not have a bunch of stinkers to his name like some of the other actors. Who there's some of these folks who've got like three or four movies that have bombed, and we just forget about it. He's got a couple of those. I feel like Hemsworth has been smart in that he is attached himself to pre-existing franchises. Like, yeah, okay, he took he took the Men in Black sequel only because that was, you know, a way to keep himself in that upper echelon of stars with IP. You know, he's doing doing another Thor for the same reason. Like, I, I feel like Chris Hemsworth outside of a pre-branded franchise is probably not a huge draw, at least in theaters. On Netflix, sure. Who do, you, who do you think is a bigger star, Tom Cruise or Dwayne Johnson? I think that outside of the existing franchises, Dwayne Johnson. I mean, if I was going to start something new or try to do what Disney did with Jungle Book, I would pick Dwayne Johnson over Tom Cruise any day. I don't know how, I don't know how to feel about the fact that you just called Jungle Cruise Jungle Book. It doesn't bode well for the future of that oh, franchise. <laughs> <laughs> there is a Jungle Book movie, though. Yeah, you're right. Jungle Cruise. Um yeah, no, but I, but I think, and Dwayne Johnson also likes being a star and is doing popcorn movies. So I think he's probably the best analogy for someone who is doing the Tom Cruise thing in the modern age and is, you know, 20, 15 years younger and is in his prime. Tom Cruise, let's not forget, is about to turn 60. So it's becoming more and more implausible that he is this action star. Um, and even in, in Top Gun, like there's a romantic subplot but it's not the thrust of the movie 
you know, like in the original Top Gun. Although it did make me wonder, and maybe this is a dumb question, like where Jennifer Connelly had been for the last 15 years. <laughs> She's great. She was one of the biggest actresses in the world in like the late 90s, early 2000s. She won an Oscar. She was in, like every year there was some Oscar baby movie that she was the female lead in. And then she, I assume maybe she disappeared to raise her kids or because Paul Bettany was was working so much. I, I don't know the story there, and I'm sure people will tell me I'm an idiot. But um, it was the first time I'd, I'd seen her in something in a long time. Yeah, I, I once saw her at Albertsons in Santa Monica. And uh, she is like, she's got that movie star look to her. Like she was looking around, you know, the checkout line. And you're like, oh, that's a movie star. And somewhat age appropriate for Tom Cruise. He's 59, she's 51. So good, good for good for the casting there. I saw someone on on Twitter say that it was that, that movie was the best advertisement for Botox they'd ever seen, and I I have to agree <laughs> on, for both of the for both of the leads. Yeah, well, you know what they you know there's the digital makeup that they do these days where you can put a gloss on someone digitally uh, in post, and I don't I'm not saying that Tom Cruise did this, but I'm just saying I would not be surprised if they did a little work after the shooting to touch up his scenes. All right. So, you know, looking at these demos, as I mentioned, do you think this is a sign that older audiences are ready to come back to movies in great numbers? Or is this just a complete one-off anomaly? And for the vast majority of movies, they're going to stay away. I think Top Gun is probably more of a one-off for for older audiences. I mean, Downton Abbey came out just a couple of weeks ago and it did not perform very well. That feels as much like a barometer to me as anything because that's a franchise that is specifically for that demographic. Um, you don't have a lot of a lot of blockbusters that are trying to cater to old people. And and most of the studios that are trying to make movies for that demographic are thinking more in the, the Downton Abbey lane than in the Top Gun lane. I think the big test will be Jurassic World the 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 third movie that's coming out later this summer in June because they're trying to bring in that older audience with the original stars. They've got Laura Dern, they've got Jeff Goldblum, they've got Sam Neill. And if they can replicate the Top Gun phenomenon and get older audiences to come back, now that's a bigger franchise in general and a more relevant franchise than Top Gun was, but I think it could juice the numbers if they get people in who might have some allegiance to those original stars and may not have checked out the, you know, Chris Pratt uh, dinosaur and who may not have checked out the Jurassic World movies um, just because, you know, Chris Pratt was a star that they weren't as connected to. Do you do you think that Jurassic World is going to be as big with with an older audience? I mean, is that is that who goes to see that franchise? Because I see that trailer and it feels like, I, I get that they are in some ways appealing to the original Jurassic Park fans, but it it, it still feels very much aimed at, at a younger demographic. True. I just think they're trying to end-gameize the franchise and make it feel bigger for a finale feel to it. And bringing back that older audience is part of that with the original stars. Um, Jurassic's a huge franchise. I talked about this with Scott Mendelson on, on the pod last week. It's just one of those franchises that doesn't get a lot of chatter in you know, social media and amongst the, you know, the people who debate movies, but people show up. It's huge. And it's probably 1.6 on the original Jurassic World, 1.3 on the last one. This one's probably going to get over a billion, probably be the biggest movie this summer. I'm curious, do you think, do you consider Chris Pratt a huge movie star? I do. I think that he's a guy that you can plug in to your franchise and 
he's going to be meaningful. Um, Chris Pratt on his own, perhaps less so. You know, he's doing a TV show right now and the Tomorrow War. Uh, you know, Amazon said it did well, but if that movie had come out, come out in theaters, it would have been a huge test of his appeal, and I'm not sure he would have passed. Yeah, I can't get... He had that movie with Jennifer Lawrence, Passengers, that felt like the ultimate test of the two of them as box office draws, and, and neither one of them really succeeded. That's true, although that was a pretty bad movie. All right, let's go to Top Gun Ultimates here. Usually, we think that movies, this is a very rough estimate, they typically will get somewhere in the range of two and a half times their opening weekend. If that were the case, that would mean that this movie would get to 750 worldwide. What do you think Top Gun 2 gets to? I want to say it gets to at least at least like 850. I don't think that the normal, it will exceed the normal math because people like your wife will go back to see it multiple times. The word of mouth on it is great. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying at least 850. So this is perhaps the hottest take. I'm going to say this movie gets to a billion. And I wouldn't have said that before this weekend, but it overperformed in such a way. And the word of mouth, A plus cinema score, the look on the faces in the lobby of the theater when I saw it, I just think that without that much competition, especially for older audiences, this movie is going to play and play. Cruise movies typically do that. And if they can keep this going, there's no competition this weekend. This next weekend could drop by like 20, 30%, which would be insane. So, and that, insanely low. So that's like, you know, you're getting up there pretty quickly. So I'm going to say probably won't get to a billion, but I'm going to say close. Yeah, I think in the the, the 900 something range is, is a good thought. A billion is a number that was tossed out by a couple of people at Paramount a long time ago because they were so optimistic about the movie. Um, it's I guess it's possible, but if your point about Jurassic World appealing to older audiences is right, that movie is June 10th and that's going to be huge. You've got kind of light year the week after that and then Elvis the week after that. And so it does run into some slightly kind of choppier water. So this next weekend will be key. If it can put up another $100 million in the U.S., um, then it's and possible. expand out. Expand out to people who are skeptical or older audiences who don't show up opening weekend. Um, and, and, all, and speaking of like over-exuberance, these people who are talking about this movie being a best picture candidate, they need to calm down. Maybe it can win. Uh, can win best editing for the 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 planes flying through the sky, or some sure. of the some of the technical awards, sort of like how Dune ended up being the big winner at the Oscars last year. Sure, or visual effects for Tom Cruise's face. <laughs> uh, all right, that's it. We thank Lucas. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Matt. All right, we are back with the call sheet. My daily prediction, producer Craig. I've got a hot take today on the NBA Finals because we now know it's going to be Boston versus Golden State, your team. I think these NBA Finals are going to be up significantly in the TV ratings from last year, despite the fact that the Celtics have no general interest stars. No, but they have name brand, right? They are the Celtics, a historical NBA franchise versus Steph Curry. Uh, I totally agree. I mean, last year was the was Milwaukee and Phoenix. The year before that was the bubble. So yeah, I, I think this is probably a smart take. Ratings for the playoffs so far have been up about 14, 15% as of going into this past weekend, averaging about 3.7 million viewers. I think big media markets being in the finals helps. You know, Boston's got this huge following. Golden State is, you know, the Bay Area and people tune in for Steph Curry and to watch Golden State. They become kind of like the new 
Lakers. Damn straight. Uh, in a way. Uh, and even though they don't have quite the, the same market, but they, but you know, it's interesting that this, these playoffs haven't had the major market teams. There's been no New York or LA for the first time in a while and the ratings are still up. So the NBA is sort of morphing a little into the NFL where it doesn't necessarily need these big market teams to generate an audience. And who knows, it'll be interesting to see if a streaming service nabs the NBA rights when the next TV deal is up. Maybe it'll be Netflix. I think Amazon is more likely. You know, the the rights are locked up, except for the, the one of the packages is up for renewal after the 2024-2025 um, season. Um, the ESPN and Turner deals end then. And there is speculation about whether the NBA will go to streaming or try to divvy it up like the NFL has been doing. You know, that deal with ESPN and Turner is a $24 billion deal. So I think the rights package will probably go for a lot more and they may split it up even more ways. So what's your exact prediction here, numbers wise for the, the ratings? I think up 15%, 15, okay. 17% from last year. Hold me to that. We'll see if it actually happens. Go Dubs. <laughs> All right. I have no horse to this. I may root against the Celtics just because Simmons can get so annoying about this stuff. <laughs> um, but uh, I know maybe I'll, uh, I may get fired for saying that. But uh, I will be I will be watching and I will uh, I will check in on my prediction. All right. All right. That is the show for today. I want to thank Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg. I want to thank producer Craig Horlbeck. And I want to thank you. We will see you tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.